Well, I tell you what, I, I am loving how it just seems like everything that was old is becoming new again. And my kids, some of their favorite things right now, like their favorite shows, is the stuff I grew up on. They love Saved by the Bell, Full House, Fuller House came out and Megan was like, oh, I'm like a little schoolgirl again. She loved it. Some of our favorite, like the, the music that we listen to, I mean, even on the ride here today, it's like we're listening to like 80s, 90s, like remember Tears for Fears? I mean, I just love the Eagles. Megan and I went to an Eagles concert a couple of weeks ago. It was the most epic thing. I mean, those guys are like in their 70s, but they are awesome still. I mean, they just kill it. And, and I think about some of these you know, Footloose. In 1984, that movie was released. If you, if you weren't in here at the beginning of the service, just got to say you, you missed something really epic, and I'm sorry that you missed that. But the praise band led that, that Footloose song. That, that whole movie was full of just hits. Just great songs that we still listen to. It kind of really defined kind of a, a, an era. And, and that movie, uh, when I, here, here's what, what, I, what I like, is when we're able to take something that we all know, like probably everybody in here, if you haven't seen that movie, you've at least heard of it. Or you kind of maybe know a little bit about what, it is, what it's about. And, and I love when we can take a song or a movie or something like that and, and there's applications to our relationship with God. You know, I remember when I was a kid, listen, I, I don't even remember who sang it. Phil, you would probably would know. But you remember the song, Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music? Yeah. Who sang that? I don't know. Well, I didn't. He's, he's too old for it. But, you know, it, uh, stuff like that. I, I love when we can make those applications and be like, yes, this is how it is in my spiritual life. And in that, that movie, it, the, the soundtrack, again, full of hits, but the movie itself, it was that age-old tension between strict hyper-conservative rules and, you know, okay, how can we loosen up a little bit and have some innocent fun? Like, is it really wrong for us to listen to rock and roll music and to dance? And that, that's what it centered around was Kevin Bacon's character who, if you don't love Kevin Bacon, man, I mean, he, what, what, name one movie he's been in that wasn't awesome, you know, just great. But, but he moves into this small town with a pastor who had led the charge in the community to outlaw dancing and rock music. We're not gonna, not gonna, nobody's allowed to dance. Nobody's allowed to listen to music. But the struggle is, is this really a big deal? Or can we move past this? And it brings to my mind the struggle that we find ourselves in a lot today. I don't know, I, I don't know that many people who would say that dancing and listening to you know, rock and roll music is a sin. Although I have known a couple. I have known a couple that, that would say that. But, uh, but I don't think too many people would, would think that today. But we've replaced it with other issues. We've become religious in our own way about certain things. And at the heart of it is that ongoing tension between religion versus relationship. If I am a follower of Jesus, does that mean that I follow a religion? Is that what that means? If, or does it mean that I'm in a relationship with God? And this concept is really, really hard for us to grasp. And some of us, we think we've got it, and, and yet when we kind of look at our lives and, and, and the way that we think, it kind of reveals itself a little bit that we, we haven't really fully understood this yet, is that God did not send his son Jesus 
to live a sinless life and bore the penalty for our sin and you know, bled and died and rose again. He did not send Jesus to make us religious. Jesus did not come to make us religious. In fact, the root word for the word religion, it literally means a return to bondage. That's what it is. It's that I'm returning back to shackles and chains, a return to bondage. It's, it's all about rules and restrictions and, and the law and these things that I have to follow. Jesus did not come to make us religious, but he came to set us free. That's why, that's why he came. In, in fact, in essence, Christianity is not a religion. In its essence, it's not. It is, it is a relationship with the living God. That's what, we, that's what we're a part of. God sent Jesus to reveal himself to us so that we could know him and be transformed by him. It's real. It's something that we walk in and live in. In its essence, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. And when we talk about religion and what it is, there are a few distinctions. Uh, but I think the one that probably stands out the most above the rest is that it can help us understand, okay, what's the difference? You know, what are we talking about? Religion versus relationship. Religion, the kind that Jesus hates. I mean, you see him interact over and over with the Pharisees and religious people. And, you know, and he just, he just always, you see more anger in those encounters than anywhere else. But, and this is why, is because religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. It's all about how I present myself, how I look on the outside. doesn't matter what's going on inside. doesn't matter what's real to me. It's all in what I can make you believe about me. Jesus hated that. And, and it's, it's, this is an outward expression rather than an inward transformation. It's, it's look at how I perform. Look at what I do. It's, it's this outward effort to try to close the gap between sinful man and holy God. God's over there and I'm over here. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put these restrictions on myself or I'll make sure that I do the right things, say the right things, look the right way so that hopefully, you know, I've kind of earned my standing with God. That's reducing Christianity to a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. And this is just so common. It's so, so, so common today. And I believe this is one of the major, major issues that is keeping people from knowing Jesus because that's what they, they think it is why would I want to be part of that and it was very common in the day of Jesus the group of people the Pharisees they were very religious they were very outwardly expressive you would have known somebody was a Pharisee just I mean you could see him from a mile away and you you would know that okay that, that's who they are and, and quite honestly they lived a pretty upstanding life you think about for us we talk about, and we know, you know, the Old Testament, right? We got the Ten Commandments. And we probably could rattle off five or six of them without thinking too hard, you know. But we, we know about the Ten Commandments. Well, the Pharisees had 613. And they knew them all. They memorized every single one. They could go through and check off the list. And that was their whole, their whole life. Their whole purpose was, I've got to follow every single one of these 
laws to the letter. And that's what they live by. And it was much more of an external faith, and it wasn't internally real. Jesus despised it. You see him unleash on the Pharisees in Matthew 23, where he, he just unloads and he says, What sorrow. And you got to think, this is Jesus saying this to the religious people of the day. Right? The, they were the teachers. They were the, they, they, they were the ones that, okay, these are the ones that got it figured out, I guess. And the rest of us, we hope that we can be as good as they are someday. He says, What sorrow awaits you? Teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Because they had the look. On the outside, they, they, had, they, they would pray on the street corners, one of the things they were known to do. They'd stand out on a busy street and look up to heaven, raise their hands, and, Oh, dear God, listen to how righteous I am and how many $3 words that I can use. And I know these religious terms, and I'm glad I'm not like these people. I'm not a sinner like these people. I'm so much better. And then they would go into the temple and take their offering. And instead of like, you know, having a, like an offering box somewhere, they, they had the offering right up on the altar, and they would go up and Hold it up and say, oh God, look how much I'm putting in. I want everybody to see. They were, if they were writing the check, man, they didn't fold that check. They left it face open, laid it in the plate. Because I want everybody to see how many zeros I'm putting on the end of that, baby. You know? And that, that's what they did. And, and, look at, and they would dress in such a, a way. Look at, look, at, look at how I look. Look at who I don't hang out with. Look at who I snub as I cross to the other side of the street because I'm not going to be near these sinners. I'm outwardly religious. And as I think about the topic, there's one Pharisee in particular that comes to mind, Phil mentioned, Nicodemus. And we're introduced to him in John chapter 3. And we don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, but what we do know is that he was a high-ranking Pharisee. He was a, uh, a member of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of like, they, they were kind of like the final court of appeals in their culture. So they had the Jewish law, and, and when it came to matters of Jewish law, uh, ultimately there were things that would have arisen to their attention. They're kind of like the Supreme Court there, that they're going to rule and whatever they say is final. And Nicodemus, he's, he's a part of that group. A pretty powerful guy, lots of influence, uh, and, and very well known. And evidently, there, there's something so special, or he knows that there's something so special about Jesus that he just, but he couldn't get his mind wrapped around the idea that Jesus could be the Messiah. He just, he's struggling to move past some of the old religious traditions that were just ingrained in his mind. And this is what happens. It says in John 3, beginning in verse 1, that there was this, this man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, I think that's interesting. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we, we all, and this is, this is really telling. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Two things I really think are fascinating there. One is, okay, he goes to meet with Jesus after dark. 
A lot of theologians agree that probably the reason that was is because he was ashamed. He didn't want to be seen with, with Jesus, but he wanted to talk to him, so he did it after dark so that nobody would, would see him. But then he made that really astonishing admission. He said, hey, we all know that God has sent you. And when I hear that, I'm thinking, okay, he's, he's a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, so he's like a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he's, when he says we, who's he talking for there? He's talking for all of them, like we, the Pharisees, like the same people who hated Jesus and were plotting to kill him the whole time. And, and this is where my mind goes. And this is just kind of a side note is how is it possible that someone could know, like, hey, we, we know you've been sent from God, but also we're going to deny what we know. And we've all got people in our lives that, that we, we see them go through that, and, and we've come up against things even as a church and over the years where you have someone who is, you know, maybe living in a, a pattern of, of sin. And the Scripture says, you know, if you've got a brother or sister, somebody that's, caught up in sin, what, what should we do? What, what, what can we do? He says, well, go to them privately and talk to them about it. Say, hey, you know, this is, this is not what God wants for your life. And, and I think back to different times when I've done that or other people have done that. You say, hey, don't you realize this is a sin? And oftentimes people will say, yeah, I know. I know it's a sin. And I say, well, don't you think that God wants you to change that? I say, well, no. And you say, well, wait a minute, those two things don't fit together. <laughs> I know it's a sin. I know God hates this. But no, I don't think God wants me to change it. Well, wait, wait a minute now. That's just, that's just kind of selfish, isn't it? And when I look at this verse, that's, that's kind of what comes to mind is he's saying, hey, we Pharisees, we know God sent you. But they're going to try to kill you anyway. Like we're, we're denying your divinity right here. I, I just think it's interesting. And so Jesus, knowing all this, he knows what's going through their minds, and he knows what, what's going on in Nicodemus's mind. He says, I, I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? You've you got a lot of the right answers, and you know a lot of good stuff, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to drop a truth bomb on you right now. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now that right there ought to stop all of us and say, whoa, this is important, I mean, Jesus throwing down here, you, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? This is not computing. I don't understand what you're trying to say. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus is saying, listen, you're not getting this. You know, are you listening to any of my teaching? Have you been tracking with me at all? We're not talking about this. You're, you're fixated on what you think you know. You are... You are totally laser-focused on religion, traditions, rules, laws, all the things that you've clung to for all these years, and you're not tracking with me. God is doing something new here, and I'm here to tell you about it. You just admitted that you know that God sent me. Why are you not paying attention? Jesus said, so don't be surprised when I say that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. And just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is kind of a slow train. That's why he says, well, how are these things possible? I'm still not getting this. He's, and Jesus even calls him out on that uh, in a couple of verses there. He's, 
he says to him, he says, man, you're a religious leader. How do you not understand this? You know the scriptures better than anyone. You know that there was a Messiah who was going to come and things were going to change and all this. How, how do you not understand this? He keep, but he keeps trying to help him understand. And then he speaks probably the most well-known and powerful verses in the Bible. John 3, 16. It's when Jesus said, Nicodemus, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. He's on a rescue mission. He says there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. I think about those people who say, yeah, I know this is a sin, but I'm not changing. Why? Jesus tells us why. They love the darkness more than they love the light. That's the answer. That's why. He says, all who do evil hate the light and they refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. It's a lot easier to keep a little distance from Jesus. And the more religious I appear, the more rules I try to keep and the more better polished I try to make myself look, and keeping a little bit of a distance from Christ, uh, then I'm in control. You don't get to see the cracks and the crevices. You don't get to see how, how broken and, and messed up I, I am on the inside. All who do evil hate the light, refuse to go near it, Jesus says. But those who do what is right, they come to the light so others can see that they're doing what God wants. I was reading over my message this morning. So every Sunday morning, I get up a little early, and I kind of go through it a little bit in my mind, spend a little time praying. And I hadn't, when I was prepping this week, this didn't hit me, but it did this morning. I was thinking, you know, that's, that's a part of it. Why do we get hung up? Why do we get tripped up on, you know, well, you can't do this, you can't do this, can't do that. You know, you got to dress like this. You got to, you know, say the right words. Maybe part of that motivation is I want to be doing what God wants me to do. I want to be close to God, and I want people to see that I'm following Jesus. But I don't know what that should look like. like I want the world to know that I'm a follower of Christ. That's what Jesus said. All, all those who do what right, they, they come to the light so that others can see. But we're just we're, we're looking at it backward. These are really powerful words from Jesus. It's the truth of the gospel. It's not what you do. It's not what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And it's about how we respond to that. He did the work, and then he said, Here, here's your opportunity to accept the gift. It's not about external stuff. It's not about trying to make yourself seem better than others or or, or trying to modify your behavior. This is about the gift that God has given. Jesus came and he lived and he taught and he died and he rose again. 
God sent his son into the world to save the world through him. See, toxic religion, this is what it does. It, it puffs up and it makes you spiritually proud. I'm focused on outside stuff, what other people say. I am better and you are worse. I do these things, you know, and, and you don't. And, the, and I'll tell you, the, the non-Christian world, they look at that and they say, why would I want to be part of such a miserable, joyless, hypercritical group of people? Why, why do I need that in my life? You know, life is hard enough as it is without, you know, trying to put a bunch of other overbearing things on it. But it's because Jesus didn't come to make us religious. He came to set us free, to be full of joy and life and victory and unity and love and compassion for one another. But toxic religion... It, it poisons and destroys. Religion, what, here's what it does. It draws lines. It says, this is the line. You don't cross it. And Jesus, what he does, he crosses lines. He reaches over and says, hey, come follow me. Hey, come, I'm, I'm going to do something in your life. I want to forgive you. I want to restore you. I want to change you. But come and follow me. And this is something I think we need to recognize. And maybe this will help some of us to be free. So we're making some spiritual connections to things in our world Particularly the movie Footloose for today, because I love it. That pastor, he had persuaded the city council to ban music and, uh, and dancing. But if, I know for some of us, it's been a minute since we've watched that movie. Do you, do you remember? You don't have to say anything out loud, but in your mind, do you remember why? Do you remember what was at the heart of that? What was behind it? It was because years before then... His son had been out drinking and dancing and then got into a car accident and died. And it devastated him, devastated the pastor. And so it, he, he felt like, I've got to do something. I don't want anybody to ever go through what we just have gone through. And so that prompted him to say, hey, we need, let's ban dancing and rock music because obviously that's got to lead to something much worse and I've got a lot of pain there and I was thinking about about that and you know nine times out of ten that is what causes us to hang on to religion that's what drives it uh, what would cause someone to go to the extreme to have all these rules of what I can and can't do you know I, I, I can't I, I can't go to those places. I can't do those things. I can't be around those people. I've got to always kind of have my nose up a little bit, and I'm going to look down at others, and, hey, you need to be more like me. Why, why, what's, what's driving that? I think it's pain. I'm pretty sure for, for the vast majority it's pain because we've been through a painful or traumatic experience, and our reaction is to overreact and become religious. I, I, some of the most religious people that I've met and we've had people here that have come to this church for a little bit and then have left in a huff because they say, well, you guys are just, you're just a little too wild for me. You know, that's, I, I think we need to be strict and we need to wear our hair a certain way and, do, you know, do different things. And, and, uh, and when I look at their life, it's, they were some of the most wild people. They were a lot more wild than I ever was. I was, I was a little wild, but they were really wild and their life fell apart and then they were introduced to Jesus. And so it just became this this extreme religious thing as a response to pain. I think about the person who's putting extra rules in place in their lives and they want them in the lives of others around them. Because I, I don't want to stumble. 
I don't want to be tempted. So all, all the people around me are thinking and doing the same kinds of things that I'm doing, primarily because we're so afraid of going through something painful again. Because I don't want to go back there. I don't, I don't want that. It was, it was miserable. And, and maybe you had a grandfather that was an alcoholic and it hurt your family. And he beat your grandma and he beat your parent and he, and he horrible things. I mean, horrible trauma in your life. That is terrible. It's terrible. But that doesn't mean that every person who has a glass of wine at dinner or a beer at the ball game is your alcoholic grandfather. But see, that's what religious, religion does is I, I've been through trauma and so now I've, I've attached something to, that I'm going to put on other people. Years ago, I served at a little country church, and somebody had told me a story. I've, I've told this before, but a lot of you probably maybe haven't heard it. Uh, at this church, years before I had gotten there, there was a, a, a struggling little family that showed up one Sunday morning. It was a single mom with a couple of kids, and they were just kind of one of those families that, you know, when you see, sometimes you just see somebody, and you're like, whoa, there's stuff going on in your life. You're just, just a little worn out, a little ragged, a little worse for wear. So this woman showed up with her two little kids, and they're just, life is just, the wheels have just come off. And so she thought, well, we need something. Maybe, maybe the church has something to, you know, maybe, maybe if we connect with God, that'll be something that would be positive for us. So she showed up, went to church. At the end of the service, one of the elder's wives uh, said, hey, can I talk to you? And pulled her aside and said, hey. So this week, she says, I live just down the street, and this week, why don't you stop by my house? I've got some old dresses that I don't need anymore. I'm going to give to you so that next time, you've got something appropriate to wear for church. You think they ever came back? No. And that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of garbage that Christian people have been peddling for years. Now, I'm, thank God I wasn't at that church at that time because I'd have slapped a little old lady for that. <laughs> that that's not going to fly. But I, I don't know all the circumstances, but I imagine there was pain behind that. There was something in that woman's life. It's some, you know, maybe the way she was raised or her dad and whatever. We, they had to be picture perfect. You know, and so we just think, I've got to be picture perfect because that's what God expects. So that's what he expects for all of us. And I'm thinking in her mind, perhaps that was what was driving that. But what strikes me so much about the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus is explaining to him the best news in the world. John 3.16, the most well-known, well-loved, best memorized passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. You see it at ball games. When somebody's holding the sign up, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus spoke those words to a Pharisee, Nicodemus. He's, God has sent Jesus to set you free. This isn't gospel preached, it's gospel lived. This is something in our life. And, and we don't know for sure what happened with Nicodemus. But we do know that he was... He was there after the crucifixion, and he brought spices to help prepare Jesus' body for the burial. I think we can speculate that he was secretly following Jesus, but he just hadn't mustered up the courage yet to go public with it. 
but maybe, maybe by showing up in that moment, I mean, that would have been, it would have been known, because in that day, when you crucified someone, the, the bodies weren't, unless the family showed up, normally they just threw them, you know, in a dump, in a pile somewhere. So by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea showing up to, to, uh, to receive the body, maybe that was him declaring his faith in that moment. But for you and me, I think through this story, it should lead us to an important conviction. Let's not get tripped up by that stuff. Let's not be tripped up by religion, and let's not be timid like Nicodemus in our faith. And, and that's where things get hairy. Because for the well-meaning Christian, we, we say, okay, I don't want to be shy about my faith, but I don't know how to express it. So maybe I should go over to the, the extreme. What do we do? I, I say, let's embrace the purity of the gospel. What did Jesus actually teach? Not what, what has man come up with and you know, said, well, we shouldn't do these things. What did Jesus actually teach? The word gospel, it literally means good news. Religion means a return to bondage. Good news means, gospel means good news. This is good news. It's the best news that you'll ever hear. And some of you, you grew up church like I did, and you never understood the gospel like I didn't. I thought it was a bunch of rules. Others of you, you're not a churchy person at all, and you, and you don't quite understand what's going on. I want you to hear this as clearly as I can present it. That the purity of the gospel, why God sent Jesus, was not to make us religious, that's a return to bondage. He sent him to set us free. And I'm going to look at, in the, the couple of minutes I've got left, I want to look at three little verses of Scripture in Romans chapter 3 that I believe are just as simple to understand as they can be. I mean, we don't have to overcomplicate this at all. It's just as simple and it's clear. They're the easiest to understand verses to understand the good news. Romans 3 verse 20 says that no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I mean, crystal clear, right? We all got it. No one can ever be made right by following all the rules. Nobody is ever going to make it to heaven. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, hey, well done, because you did all the things. I guess you didn't, you didn't chew tobacco, you know, you didn't run around with crazy people, and you didn't, you know, whatever. You know, you went to all the Billy Graham crusades, and you listened to nothing but Christian music on the radio. Good for you. Welcome. You're done. You did. It's, nobody can do that. You can't earn this. There's nothing that you can do. To make yourself worthy enough of heaven, you cannot work your way to God. Even if you say, well, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't run with the girls that do, I don't do any of that stuff, still not good enough. I don't watch any R-rated movies, and my kids all go to private Christian schools, and I've got all the gold stars next to my name because I memorize my Bible verses every single week. That's great, still not enough. Still not going to get you there. Well, then what's the point of the law anyway? That's what it says. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Like kind of looking in the big ugly mirror. Man, I'm messed up. Then the next verse says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. 
So you think about those 613 commands in the Old Testament, all the things that they had to do, and you can't wear this kind of fabric, and you can't do these things, and you got to you know, watch out for all this. He said, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, saying, hey, you knew this was coming for a long time. You knew things were going to change. So here's the good news, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's just as pure, that's just as simple as it gets. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Does that include a doubter? Yeah. Does that include a bad sinner? Does it, does it include someone who really messed up? Well, what about the person who grew up in church? They good? Yeah. What about the person who didn't grow up in church and their family are atheists and they make fun of you because you have any interest in going to church? Yeah, that includes you too. Does it include, it, it, is, it includes anyone who puts their faith in Christ because they will receive the righteousness of God and be totally forgiven. And I, I just want to talk directly to you and I, I really, really, really want you to hear this. There are a lot of you that you, you, you've wondered your whole life, am I good enough for God? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Where do I stand with God? Have I done enough good things and not done enough bad things? Am I okay because I go to church every now and then I try to help people? I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Am I good enough? And the answer, as clearly as I can say it, are you good enough? No. You're not. If that's your concern, if that's where your worry is, and every night you go to bed wondering, have I done enough? The answer is no, you have not. You are not good enough. And the purpose of the law is to show you that you need a Savior. You can't do this. None of us are good enough for God. So often we think, okay, okay, I'm going to clean up my life, and I'll work really, really hard and, and, and I'll do my best, and I hope that God grades on a curve. He doesn't. He does not grade on a curve. If we fail at any part of the law, we are guilty of wrecking the whole law. We're guilty. We've all sinned. Every one of us are sinners. That's why we need a Savior. This is the good news. That God loved you so much that he sent Jesus, his only son, who was without sin. He became sin for us. He was the Lamb of God. He was perfect, and he was the final sacrifice. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. And many of you, you've doubted your standing with God for years. Some of you, you were like a, you were like a wild party person, or you weren't religious at all. But right now, you're, you're being drawn to God, and you wonder, well, what is that? It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, are you listening to this? Are you listening to this? And today, no matter where you've been or how you've grown up or what religion you followed or you thought might be right, today you're hearing truth. This is a truth from Jesus. His words. And, and you're being drawn to it. And what you're going to do, you need to surrender. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to place your faith? It means I'm trusting him. I put my full trust in Christ. So you wonder, well, what do I do? What do I do? The Bible is really clear. We accept Christ as our Savior. It's as simple as saying it out loud, saying it to your family, saying it to your friends, saying it to your church. 
that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. There's nothing magical about those words. Those are some of the words we use often when someone's giving their life to Jesus. But you don't have to say it like that. If all you say is, I trust God, great. I believe in him. You know, I want him to be my Savior. Awesome. That's, it's simple. That's it. I accept him as my Savior. And then the scriptures tell us that we need to repent of our sins. It's not going to fly to say, yeah, I know this is sin, but no, I'm not going to change. That, that, that is not what God, what he says is we are called to repent, meaning I'm turning away from my sin. I know this is sin. God, at least the Holy Spirit has at least revealed that to me. I at least know, yeah, I admit that's a sin. Well, then what does God want me to do? To leave that sin behind. To not go there, to not live there. Does that mean that I'm going to be perfect? No. There's still going to be struggles, and I may stumble and fall back into it, but I pick back up and I say, I don't want this. I want to follow Jesus. That's what repentance looks like. I'm not going to live that lifestyle. I'm not going to be that person any longer. From now on, I'm a follower of Jesus, and that defines who I am and what I do. And then we're baptized. That's the moment when you, you come before the Lord and you're lowered under that water, something special happens in that moment. I can't fully describe it to you. I know it's quick, but there's something very special and very spiritual that happens. And it's in that moment of being born again that Jesus was describing to Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. If that's you, and you need to talk to somebody about that today, I, I would challenge you, don't leave here until you have. Have that conversation. We'll have volunteers at the next steps area in the lobby as you leave. That's why they're there, to pray with you, to talk with you about that stuff. Or maybe you're just hung up in a lifestyle of sin. Maybe that's you. You say, I recognize some sin in my life, and I'm really struggling to want to leave it. we got a great ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. That's what they do, is helping all of us leave the life of sin behind. And we're going to have volunteers out in the lobby that uh, are, are with Celebrate Recovery. If you want to talk to somebody about that, please do. But just don't go at it alone. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you that you have sent Jesus, that he has, he has come to be our Savior. He has come to set us free. Help us to claim that freedom today, Lord. Help us to, to trust you fully and to be willing and ready to leave the sin behind i know that you called us to something so much better and so much greater than that but where our minds get twisted up as we sometimes think that 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 thing that's supposed to be better actually just looks more like work and burden and 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 bondage so lord break that lie help us to see that that's not what following you is, is like it's not a return to bondage but it's it's a freedom help us to live in freedom God, help us to leave the guilt in the past and to just be walking with you, walking with the Spirit. I just pray for these men and women here that you would just encourage their hearts and increase our faith. And I ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.